Think of all the things you need in your daily life, like the really basic stuff. Not a car or a computer, more like spoons and bowls, or food to go in those bowls, a roof to go over your head, or clothes on your back. At North House Folk School in Grand Marais, Minnesota, there are classes to teach students how to make all of these things out of natural materials in a northern environment. Today, we'll be looking at that last thing I mentioned, clothing, or rather, one clothing material, which is wool. Or maybe even more specifically, one creature, sheep. for character. So there are aggressive sheep and then there are friendly sheep and these are more friendly and easier to work with. So it's called it's a breed called Finn. You can imagine Finnish sheep would be friendly. Gentle. This is Elise Kylo. She's a North House instructor and artist in a multitude of mediums but is at home here among the animals that produce her favorite material. For me I can't think of anything that's more organic and earth-based than wool. I've been a paint. I've done painting and pottery and other things, but wool is you take it from the 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 sheep and they'll grow it back and they'll give you more next year and it's a completely re, re sustainable. I suppose you could say it's a sustainable product. Um, who doesn't love being around sheep? They give us poop and fertilizer. They they're comforting. It's and it's warm. It's great for our, our making clothing and and things for the home. Kylo teaches a class on the full wool experience, starting with the sheep provided by a local Minnesota farm. They go from shearing the wool off the animal to cleaning it to processing it into felt by hand and creating whatever one wants with it. Felting is a magical process, and it's people are astounded that you don't first knit it to give it structure, but you take wool, and even wool right from the sheep, you could, you could cut off the sheep, and if you add water and agitation, you're going to bond the fibers together to create a blanket, to create socks, to create a hat. So it's really about rubbing the wool together. It's a process of patience also. With her is Teresa Hornstein, an expert in dyeing wools. She mentions how it could be surprising how much wool is needed to make even small items. I mean, we had this mountain of wools, probably about three feet wide, about two feet tall. But it only weighed a pound. pound. And when you get it wet, it just smashes down to a thin little layer. In another class, felted rug maker Mary Reichert is doing the same thing, working with the wool to turn it into durable felt. Uh, This is the process of combining the wool fibers, and so we're using a warm water and soap, and the warm water relaxes the fibers and the soap as well, and then as you start rubbing like this, it's allowing those fibers to attach onto each other. And then we'll roll it up and begin to roll it with our arms, and that'll start to shrink the whole piece. What, what did it feel like to, to put something on that you made for the first time? Oh, that's what hooked me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what hooked me. When I made that white felt coat, it was it was incredible. I just, to be able to have the freedom to know that I can make my own clothing, um, and that's so, ele- I find felt incredibly elegant. Um, and it, that was what brought me into the world of felt making. From there, Reichert learned the craft of traditional Central Asian rug making in Kyrgyzstan, where different patterns in the felt can create different meanings, prayers, or stories. For this, though, there's a distinctly different type of wool used than the kind that would be used for clothing. 
And so not all sheep felt equally. Um, merino felt really great, and then on the other end of the spectrum would be a caracal, which is from Central Asia, and that has a lot more hair kind of in the wool, and it felts up really firm and kind of hard, and then there's sort of everything in between. And then there's some wool that doesn't felt at all. Um, really good for spinning, but not good for felting. Different kinds of wool, that is different breeds of sheep, are suited for different purposes that can vary greatly across geography and culture. Take the sheep described by Anne-Marie Nielsen of Denmark. She's the former lead textile instructor from the Fosen Folk School in Norway and is used to a totally different type of wool. As when I worked in, in Norway, we had, we had sheep and there was this very old kinds of breed. You don't have to shear them. It's a kind where around midsummer the wool will start kind of loose and, and you go and grab the sheep and then you can just kind of remove it without yeah like a bush that can <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly exactly and that's a very 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 good kind of of a wool and also the call one called spelsau from norwegian uh the old ones are very good i don't use that much merino for this i use some of the the old types nielsen teaches nola binding a Scandinavian fiber craft that predates knitting by centuries and uses only one needle as opposed to two. She requires much finer wool and a number of different colors to dye it with. Luckily, she's able to find plants that can give colors used in dyes. From my environment, from the surroundings where I live, um, that would, that would, that would um, first of all, to obtain the yellow colors because a lot of plants, a lot of leaves will give a kind of yellowish color or kind of beige, brownish, but yellow, yes. For example, one of my favorite, I don't know if you have it here in Minnesota, but one of my favorites is uh, St. John's word, pe mm. perforata uh, uh, in Latin, and that gives a wonderful yellow color. Hornstein says that with a couple exceptions, she is also able to create a myriad of colors with local plants from her own backyard. I order a couple of them. The, the indigo is a subtropical plant, so it just won't grow up here, or at least I've never been able to get it to. Um, the cochineal is another traditional dye. It's a little bug that lives down in Mexico. But everything else I use local. So I'm using buckthorn, and we got gold and pink and kind of a cream out of it. Um, poplar leaves gave us a pretty green, tansy. Um, so mostly I work with local plants. And the natural dyeing is always, it's an adventure because different times of year, different soils, different water, they'll all affect how the colors come out. One of the ones we did was a mushroom that's supposed to give a really nice, rich golden brown. We got nothing. Nielsen says that one thing she's found interesting in this craft is how the use of different colors can express where a wool item was created. She learned this after four years of teaching in Tanzania. Uh, and as a craft person, what I noticed was that, you know, in Scandinavian, we so much like two shades of gray that would match or two shades of blue that would match. But in Tanzania, people like pink to go together with a turquoise, together with a lilac, together with a yellow and an orange. Yeah, and they have them in the nature. If you watch the birds, if you watch the flowers and the trees there, you would have that co those colors. Mm. And here we have a lot of shades of blue. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 
No matter where you are, though, the importance of wool to humans is hard to overstate. What was a domesticated animal became a necessity for survival. Yeah, and, but that's why they ended up making so much felt, because they were traveling the landscape and living on the grasslands, and so they had all these sheep, and it just makes sense um, to make felt. And it's kind of way also that you can, can connect with nature. I mean, without sheep, how would we have been, how could people have lived in this part of the world? And, and the, I mean, the Vikings would make their sails for their ship out of wool. I mean, so it is really, without sheep, there wouldn't have been human beings here. And even nowadays, in a culture of immediacy and synthetic fibers, working with wool can become a connection to our past. And most of us just can't imagine where our clothing comes from. Mm-hmm. Right. And how far away it travels and what, what is in our clothing now. It's pop bottles maybe, it's plastic, it's oil, it's all sorts of things. So this way you know exactly what you Yes, what yep. it's a really pure product. It's wool. Wool, wool, wool. Add some water, add some soap, and you're making fabric. Yeah, there's a an incredible satisfaction when you get it done, even if it's not perfect, you look at it and it's sort of, I did that. And it, you can't beat that feeling. Wool is unique, neither hair, hide, nor fur, but it is something that when worked with, intensive as it may be, it can renew the relationship people have with other creatures and the natural environment they share. So if you think about, um grass and springtime and coming through a long winter and living with your animals and then your animals are the ones who are turning this grass into their bodies and the wool that you're working with and then you're taking that raw wool that has come from you know the grasslands and then turning that into the felt that you're then wearing on your back it's very connected to the elements for WTIP I'm Will Moore The Elements series is produced in partnership between WTIP North Shore Community Radio and North House Folk School to build community awareness in the folk arts. Music in this piece is performed by Skylar Hawkins.